0: This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast is brought to you by Swenson Real
1: Estate, service before self. With over 30 years experience, they've seen it all. Contact Jeff and Lorena today at 406-253-0033. That's 406-253-0033. Swenson Real Estate, service before self.
2: From here in the beautiful Flathead Valley, I'm Micah Drew, and this is the Flathead Beacon Podcast for Wednesday, September 8th. The school year has started, and Flathead Valley public school districts have been solidifying their COVID-19 policies for months in preparation. By federal law, students in all districts are required, whether vaccinated or not, to wear face coverings on public transportation, which includes school and activity buses. Beyond that, however, districts have a lot of leeway to draft their own policies which has led to a patchwork of guidelines across the valley. All districts are encouraging but not requiring COVID-19 vaccinations, as only a quarter of children ages 12 to 17 in Flathead County have received at least one dose. Up in Whitefish, the school board approved a plan that requires face coverings indoors for students, staff, and visitors in kindergarten through sixth grade and recommends them for grades 7 through 12. Columbia Falls, however, has opted to make face coverings optional, as has Big Fork. Down in Summers and Lakeside, an emergency meeting held last week by the school board repealed what was a mandatory face covering requirement for the first six weeks of school. Meanwhile, Kalispell Public Schools is moving forward with Phase 3 of its COVID plan, which strongly encourages face coverings but does not mandate them for any grade levels. Calisbell Public School Superintendent Micah Hill joined the podcast today to talk about his thoughts on the district's policy, how he sees the school year playing out, and what anti-vaccination discrimination bills passed by the legislator this spring might mean for schools. But before we get to that interview, a reminder that this week's podcast is supported, in part, by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio and they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. To find out more, or join today, visit BeaconEditorsClub.com. Now on to this week's guest, Kalispell Public School Superintendent Micah Hill, who I talked to Tuesday afternoon. As a side note, this might be the highest concentration of micas in a single place in the history of the world.
1: All right, well, I'm assuming most people know you by name now after the last year, but can you introduce yourself and your role in the community? My
0: name is Micah Hill, and I am the superintendent of Kalispell Public Schools.
1: So you took this job a little over a year ago, uh, which coincided with the start of one of the weirdest school years we've uh, probably ever seen. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it was like stepping into that role and then immediately having to deal with a pandemic?
0: Yeah, I think... uh... You know, I got the job in March of that year, and that was literally a week before schools closed down. And so, finished out my, my tenure as a high school principal um, with literally nobody in the building, um, which actually I think was harder than uh, having people there because suddenly we had to go remote for the district. And then what did that look like? Not having, you know, been in that place before and certainly some growing pains through that. And so, it, it was a challenge, but then, you know, and I really felt like my job started then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of felt like I was in the middle of trying to transition out of being a building principal and into that superintendent's role. And and it was tough to say the least, but the, you know, going into that, into that year, July, when I officially started, you know, it was just a lot of time spent around COVID and protocols and what were we going to do and, and listening to colleagues from across the state and across the nation um, and then effectively leading our school board into, you know, what their priorities were and, um, and how we were going to do school uh, that year. And fortunately, the board said, uh, you know, we prioritize in-person learning. Um, mm. We recognize that we have to have uh, a remote option. Um, there were a lot of unknowns at that point in time. And so that's what we did. And everything that we did decision making wise or, you know, following CDC guidelines or county health protocols was really centered around keeping our schools open last year. We knew how difficult it had been before, um, listening, you know, to staff feedback, um, parent feedback. People really wanted to have their kids in school. And so that's what we did. And so we did, you know, all the mitigation strategies. Uh, we did masks. We did hand sanitizing. We disinfected rooms. Um, you know, everything, everything got touched, um, all the time, but it was challenging, you know, with, with the original uh, variant, they referred to it as the wild. Um, you know, we certainly saw cases, um, in schools, uh, but they weren't necessarily looked at as, you know, transmission within the schools. They were coming from. Families and those kind of things, but it, it definitely had a toll. And when I think at the end of the year, we ended up with close to twenty percent of our staff having uh, contracted COVID, and so that's a that's a pretty significant number. And when mm-hmm. you when you roll that out over you know nine month period, it created some hardships for us, um, especially in the area of substitutes. And you know, we always felt like the ability for us to keep our doors open really hinged on staff um, mm-hmm. and their availability. So and a lot of times I think, you know, we think about schools as being very teacher centered, which is which is true from a staffing standpoint. But, you have these other ancillary services, you have transportation, so you need bus drivers, you have food service. We have a central kitchen that feeds uh, most of our elementary schools and some of the outlying school districts. Um, And then we have, you know, individual kitchens at the high schools and the middle school. You think about paraprofessional support, think about custodial support, ground, you know, all those ancillary services are the things that allow us to be up and running and to have teachers in the classroom. And so that was probably our biggest concern last year. Uh, and there were certainly times when we were running on a skeleton crew. Um, but, you know, we 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 did it. We made it. Um, we didn't close down a single school, which, you know, I'm not sure that anybody else can really say that. Um, and we didn't go into these crazy modified schedules and mm-hmm. AB days and, and doing those kind of things. And really, you know, helped guide those decisions and, and do those things. But it was the it was the people in the building. I mean, they were the ones doing the the, the heavy lifting uh, to make it work day in and day out.
1: Yeah, I know the the district was the only one in the in the whole state that never shut down a school uh, all year. Yeah, on um, the double A's. Right. Yeah. Uh Which is, I mean, impressive just across the board with with all of the precautions you were taking and and how strict you were uh keeping up with all those measures. It seems like it worked now that we're going into the second year of schooling during a pandemic. What is the official position of the district and what are all the protocols in place this year that people need to be aware of?
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that made last year especially challenging was um, a certain uh, segment of the community that was very much anti-mask. Mm-hmm. You know, there were people who didn't believe COVID existed. Um, there were just some some things that, that made it challenging uh, for me personally, I think for our school board, um, and certainly did not want people who had an opinion to feel marginalized mm-hmm. um, in that. Uh, and you know, didn't want to get into arguing science and, you know, which, you know, peer-reviewed study meant the most or not. Um, we were really trying to focus on, you know, what were those CDC recommendations and things like that. You know, coming out of out of June, uh, you know, really felt like things were going well for Flathead County. I mean, case numbers were really low. You know, at the end of school, we were hardly seeing any cases at all. Uh, those things were all really positive. But then, you get this Delta variant and, and so it's more transmissible. You know, we looked at a lot of the, the data within the County. We get a lot of information from Joe Russell, but we also have a COVID advisory council that, you know, consists of pediatricians, uh, Dr. Lambrecht, the CEO of Logan health, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, an area superintendents. And so as we were going into this year and then, uh, You know, vaccines were made available for everybody age 12 and older. Teachers weren't even eligible for them until April. So things kind of shifted, and we thought things were going pretty well. And then with this Delta variant and the changing CDC guidelines, where they said, regardless of vaccination status, we think everybody who's indoors should be wearing a mask and Mm -hmm. and doing those kind of things. So, um, you know, it it kind of put us, felt like it knocked us back a, a couple of steps. And then you know, my job is to make recommendations to the school board and um, based on the information that I have and the, the different things that are going on, it was, it was hard uh, and recognizing community sentiment and then recognizing also that, you know, this is where we, we live in Flathead County and very conservative views, but we choose to live here. And so I know, you know, when, when my recommendation was to keep masks optional, Uh, there were people in the county that really felt like that's a mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't, I don't blame them. And I, and I don't think that, uh, masks are ineffective. Uh, I think just knowing where we live and, and recognizing the climate of this community that requiring masks at this point would have created more divide and certainly made things more challenging, keeping in mind that we have, you know, a vast majority of our student population that is eligible to be vaccinated whether they choose to or not uh, is a whole nother story but then you have this group of 5 to 11 year olds who don't have that opportunity yet and so some of the things that we looked at were you know what were the pediatric cases um, And then what is the mortality rate around those? And, you know, how severe is this? And and even though the the Delta variant is more contagious, um, there's still a lot that's unknown about whether or not it makes you more sick or, Hmm. you know, whether kids have longer-lasting symptoms. There's certainly some evidence of that. But the the mortality rate was low. The incident rate uh, is still relatively low in those populations. And, you know, I think the thing that I struggled with was – uh, just, you know, very pragmatically, we the the students of Kalispell Public Schools represent roughly uh, 6% of the entire county's population. And so, and then in that 5 to 11-year-old range, that's about 2% of the county mm-hmm. population. And what is requiring masks in that setting when you know it's not happening anywhere else in the community? And, and that might be a little... A little bit of an overplay on, on that. I mean, I, there is some masking going on, but generally speaking, we're not seeing widespread universal masking. And so when the county health department says, you know, as we're contact tracing these cases, what we're seeing is it's literally people that live on top of each other mm-hmm. in the same household. That's where we're seeing the spread and the transmission. It's not casual. And so then how do we go into a school year where you say we are going to require masks for 2% of the population? for seven hours out of a 24-hour day, knowing that it's not happening. We are still, masks or not, we are going to see spread in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I look at Billings, Billings has a, a mask mandate in their school district, and they're still seeing spread. They're still seeing cases. Um, they had 50 in the first week. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's just, it's that balance. And I didn't want to put our board and our teachers and our administration in a position where they were, constantly in a fight over this public health versus personal responsibility. Yeah, Um, And so that's kind of where I landed.
1: So masking is optional. What's happening in terms of quarantine close contacts this year and and anything else that's going to be in place? Yeah, that's a little bit up in the air
0: (coughs) right now. Um, So if you look at the information that's put out by the Flathead County Health Department, they are advising people who are close contacts to quarantine. Um, There's Mm -hmm. no mandate to quarantine. And some of that is is affected by House Bill 702, Mm -hmm. uh, which deals, you know, primarily with, um, you know, vaccination status. And CDC requirements said, if you are a close contact but have been vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine. If you haven't been vaccinated, you have to quarantine. So in... Montana, where you have a law that says you can't discriminate based on vaccination status it put county health departments in a really tough spot where Mm -hmm. either they are going to require everybody to quarantine, which feels really unfair to those who've been vaccinated uh, versus those that haven't. And so uh, created a whole nother layer of challenge. So right now, as it stands, um, you know, advised to quarantine, um, which is you know, we're seeing that kind of play out now in our schools a little bit, um, and it's creating some challenges for
1: us. Uh, the other challenge, I know that you mentioned last year, it's 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 not just teachers that make the school run, but it's it's the bus drivers, it's people in the paraprofessionals, and and all the auxiliary people. I know that a shortage of bus drivers is happening all over the valley, and and several sporting events have also already been canceled. Do you see this being a problem all year in terms of those are the people that might cause the school to, to have to shut down? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, you know, give
0: a little bit of perspective on it. The Kalispell Public Schools has its own buses mm-hmm. and drivers, uh, and they make up about 50% of all the routes. Okay. And then we contract with four other companies um, to provide transportation services. Kalispell Public Schools, we have a bus driver for every route, mm-hmm. um, and we have a couple of substitutes uh, in, in the back. But I think when you look at what could potentially cause a, a school to shut down, You know, you think about what are your contingency plans, right? So let's just say one day we we have, you know, two bus drivers out and we only have one substitute. We may be in a position where we're contacting parents to say we are not going to be able to provide that route. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that schools are going to close down. It just means that there's something that is lost on the parents' end of things for, um, you know, getting kids to school. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look at food service, let's just say, uh, you know, all the food service workers have lunch together and someone gets sick and maybe other people, we may have to close down a cafeteria, um, you know, but highly unlikely that we would have to do that. Um, same thing with paraprofessionals. If, If we are short on paraprofessionals and we don't have substitutes, kids have less support and services in the classroom. Same with custodians. If you're short on custodians, teachers might have to pick up the load and empty their own trash and wipe down their desks and, and do things like that. So mm-hmm. I think, from a staffing standpoint, that we feel like there's a contingency for everything. It just means reduced services, yeah. um, which isn't uncommon. I mean, that's what you see, you know, currently in the in the food service industry uh, and other industries where restaurants are closed two days of the week because they can't find enough people to to do that. So that labor shortage is certainly uh, an issue, not just for Calistoga Public Schools, but you know, valley wide. I think the the bigger concern is the transmissibility of the Delta variant and the impact that that could have on kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, Low vaccination rate in that 12 to 17 year population, I think it was at 27% uh, last week. And so if you think about a classroom of 30 kids and one kid gets infected and last year if it was one to one, uh, you know, now it's one to three and so it wouldn't take long for uh, you know, COVID to run its way through a classroom.
1: Well, lastly, can you just give your, your overall view of, of this year? How, how optimistic are you about the school year, about trying to keep schools open all year for the second time? What's your, what's your sky high view and, and, and personal feeling going into it?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, going into, into this year, very optimistic, I really want things to, to work out well for our schools, for our community. Uh, recognize that decisions that the board makes definitely have an impact on that. And so, you know, optimistic about our community to really take personal responsibility seriously, keeping kids home when they're sick, um, adults staying home when they're sick, uh, those kind of things. And. You know, and really when, when you think about getting into education and whether you're, you know, the classroom teacher or the superintendent, um, you know, that needs to be your, your focus and goal mm-hmm. is, that, is that you still continue to develop that potential for every child, provide them, you know, what I consider to be one of the best educations uh, in the country. Um, we provide a lot for our students and, you know, but there is, you know, just in the, in the back of my head, there is this concern that the decisions that I've recommended or that the board has made could have a negative consequence. Um, You know, without requiring masks, without high vaccination rates, uh, the potential to see a school closure is, is definitely in the back of my head. You know, hoping for the best, but also you know, I look around at national media and, and local media, and some of the things that are going on, and, and it certainly causes me concern. It makes me question a little bit whether or not I, I've made the, the right recommendations and, and the right decisions along the way. But the other thing that I guess I'm I'm bullied by is the is the fact that the the staff in this community. I mean, they support they support schools, and they're willing to do whatever it takes, and grateful for that.
1: Well, your leadership the last year has been great, and we'll look forward to to the same this year. So uh, good luck as the school year continues, and thanks so much for coming and talking today. Thank you.
2: All public schools are now back in session, and both school and public health officials will be closely tracking the spread of COVID and working to keep students safe, healthy, and learning in the classroom. We'll be right back. And before we get to this week's headlines, Dr. Mark
0: Remington of Glacier Eye Clinic has a message from our sponsor this week.
1: I've known Jeff for probably around 20 years. Very good friend of mine. He's helped me both personally and professionally in the real estate market. He is super ethical, super knowledgeable. He's prompt. He'll return your calls and he'll steer you in the right direction. As a friend, he's been service before self.
0: Contact Swenson Real Estate at
2: 406-253-0033 today. And now, here are the biggest news stories from the last seven days as of 8 p.m. Tuesday, September 7th. A rafter on the Flathead River called the Flathead County Sheriff's Office on Monday to report they had found human remains near the Presentine Bar fishing access site. The body was caught on a log in the river and had become exposed due to low water levels. The remains were taken to the state crime lab in Missoula to determine cause of death and try to identify the body. Twenty years after the terrorist attacks on September 11th, the 9-11 Honor and Serve Foundation, based out of Big Fork, is hosting its annual memorial ceremony at Wrangler Springs Ranch north of Big Fork on Saturday. The memorial ceremony will take place on a so-called Field of Honor, where organizers have placed 300 American flags to honor those who have served. As part of the ceremony, the future USS Montana bell will be featured in an honor-ringing ceremony. The bell will be presented to a nuclear submarine next year. In addition, a Remembrance Day of Service will be held at Flathead State Park Wayfarers Unit on September 11th where volunteers can pull noxious weeds, conduct trail work, stain picnic tables, and pick up trash. And finally, in a historic victory, the University of Montana Grizzlies opened their football season with a win over ranked FBS opponent, University of Washington. Playing in Seattle, the Grizz allowed a single touchdown in the first quarter, then held the Huskies scoreless for the rest of the game, and came around in the final minutes to win 13-7. The win is only the second time the Grizz have beaten the Huskies, and one of the few times an FCS team has beaten a ranked FBS opponent. The Grizz moved up to number four in the FCA's top 25 poll. Over the weekend, Montana State University played the University of Wyoming in Laramie and lost nineteen sixteen. That's all for this week. As always, you can stay up to date on the latest news online at flatheadbeacon.com. Thanks again to Micah Hill for talking about what's going on in our public schools. We hope that all of the policies currently in place will keep all students in the classroom learning throughout the school year. This edition of the Flathead Beacon podcast was hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by me, Micah Drew. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.